Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Discover North Korea. This is episode 30, and unfortunately, I do have some roadworks going on in the background, so I'm very, very sorry if you can hear those throughout. This will actually be the last podcast of this series, as I mentioned in the last episode, and we are truly going out with a bang with several guests on the show today, three of them, in fact. Don't worry, I will be back after I have finished my trip. I also have pretty exciting new plans for a new podcast. That doesn't mean that I will be giving up on this podcast at all. It simply means that I am traveling for the next month and a half and I will not have easy access to a microphone and computer equipment in order to edit and publish this podcast. Plus, I'd like a little bit of a break. So for the next few weeks, I won't be updating this podcast, but I will actually be spending my time on the move recording a new, rather different podcast. In the past few weeks, I asked you guys on Instagram how you would like it if I were to record my travels. Now, I know this is a bit of a strange concept. Travel is largely inherently visual, a visual experience. But I enjoyed recording the podcast where I took you to Dandong and the North Korean border so much when I was pretty much live podcasting what I was seeing, what I was feeling, what I was hearing, and ultimately what I was experiencing the whole time. I really enjoyed doing that style. And because I have a lot of travel plans over the next few months, luckily enough, with various different projects... And I'm going to some pretty interesting places, including the South Pacific, um, potentially Tuvalu as well, which is one of those, um, it's it's a country that's disappearing 
um, and also Socotra in um, an island in Yemen. So I have a lot of interesting plans and I thought it would be an interesting experiment to kind of record those down. So I'm going to start a new podcast on that and I'll get editing that once I am back from my travels over August. You can expect to find that around mid-September time. If anyone has any ideas of the name of the podcast, do let me know. But it will include at least three countries. I'll be going to New Zealand, Samoa and Tonga. But it might also include another couple as well, Kiribati and Tuvalu. So they're all in the South Pacific if you've never heard them heard of them before. They're all very small island nation countries. Don't worry if you've never heard of them, but um, very, very unique countries. And I'm super excited to be going back to the South Pacific. If you don't know why I'm going, then where have you been? Um, I am filming a um, a super exciting documentary actually in Tonga, but uh, that's all. That's all a very different story. I want to get into our next. Uh, sorry, this podcast, this episode. Um, let's get straight into it. And um, basically, I want to first introduce our guest. We have three guests on the show. One you will already know. They'll do their own introductions. But Greg, he's a um, a regular on this podcast now and we all love him. Leslie and Peter. I took Peter into North Korea in 2019 on the summer holiday tour. And Leslie is also um, a uh, an ex-choreo tour um, or sorry, an ex, uh, you know, she took a tour with Greg and, um, and she's also been to North Korea a couple of times as well. Now we will be talking largely about, I mean, the topic of this podcast is about a South Korea, North, a Korea themed tour that Greg from Choreo Tours, um, together with NK News, is leading and it's a very interesting very different tour and I wanted to introduce it for you guys because you have the opportunity to join it later this year there are still a few limited places left so if you like me at the end of this podcast was convinced that you want to join uh, then all of the information will be in the show notes it's truly a very interesting tour and definitely one for those who are interested in North Korea and are desperate to go but cannot go because of border closures or also because of you know you might be a national uh, a US national or a South Korean who cannot enter um, into North Korea. This tour basically goes from east to west, trailing the military demarcation line, trailing the North Korean border, but it's set completely in South Korea. And they go to some pretty unique and hard to reach places, definitely off the beaten tourist track. And a big appeal to this tour as well is the people that you will meet along the way. So without further ado, let's get into episode 30 and the final episode in this podcast series all right so welcome to the show all my guests it's amazing having three of you here I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves a little bit um first Greg friend of the podcast you've been on here before but maybe we can start with you and then Leslie and Peter you can follow Greg go for it right uh, hello everyone and thank you for Leslie and Peter for joining uh, I'm happy to see you again after almost a year. Um, so basically, uh, most of you of the listeners should know me, but just in a nutshell, I'm a tour manager and tour leader, or former tour manager and tour leader at Korea Tours, is currently living in Iceland. Um, but uh, I'm back in the business to an extent that I'm going to lead the second tour 
to South Korea, which is focusing on North Korea. And uh, basically uh, that's how I met uh, Leslie and Peter. And uh, we had amazing conversations on the tour. And since it's really important to you know, put it out in the public that you have this kind of tour and uh, how much you can learn about it, I, I told that we uh, will invite uh, Leslie and Peter to join us and to uh, you know, talk about our experience. Um, and currently I'm in Normandy. Uh, just hey. it has yeah. potentially has some connection to Korea uh, because I'm not far from Utah Beach, where uh, supposedly uh, they captured uh, a South uh, a Korean uh, uh, prisoner of war in German uniform. It's not verified though, but they made a very nice movie about it and so on. So basically, the story is that there is a person an Asian looking man in German uniforms and the story behind it that potentially was a Korean who was recruited to the Imperial Japanese army. Then he became a prisoner of war of the Soviet Red Army. Then the Soviets uh, put him in the battleground in Kharkov. Then the Germans captured him. And then the Germans uh, put a uniform on him. And then he was stationed in Normandy. And then oh on D-Day, he surrendered to the Americans. It's not a verified uh, live uh, story, but there is a possibility that it, had, it happened. And there is a South Korean movie called My Way, oh. um, which uh, is about this story, which also adds a little bit of a, a twist into it that uh, he is supposed to be like the character in the movie is the first uh, 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 gold medalist in uh, the Olympics for South Korea. However, <laughs> under Japanese imperial flag in Marathon. Wow. Yeah. Please tell me that this isn't the reason why you went to Normandy. No, 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 no. The reason is that I've been uh, in a healthy way obsessed with uh, the Operation Overlord and D-Day because of the movie The Longest Day. So I just oh. wanted to, and for like 25 years, uh, my uh, dream was to come to Normandy and see where it all happened and where uh, the longest day, the movie and the book takes place. Excellent. We love a healthy obsession. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi. So um, I'm actually a former journalist um, and I live in uh, Sydney, Australia, though I'm a Kiwi by uh, birth. Um, I got interested in um, North Korea. Actually, it was a summer um, book read recommendation from a friend and they said um, if anyone's looking for a book to read um, there's this book Dear Leader um, and I read it and I thought gosh you know it's, it was a novel but but you sort of thought is some of that true is none of it true so it just sort of got me thinking um, and working at the university I was aware of a professor who actually was researching women um, in North Korea and got talking to her and I sort of ended up having this unofficial education she would say oh you must read this book oh read this book read another book and then eventually um, she said to me I'm going to North Korea would you like to come so um, and I sort of said I can't go to North Korea <laughs> but anyway um, I did end up going to North Korea with the professor 
um, and ended up taking lots of photos, um, some of which are being used in her research. Um, she's got um, a book coming out soon and some of the photos will be in there. Um, so I visited twice, 2015 with her, and I went back in 2018 with um, some PhD students and, again, a bit of an academic tour. Um, really interesting travelling with people like that and just, you know, it's just a fascinating place. But I knew I... I knew that I needed to go to South Korea. I knew that um, I, having been to North Korea twice, I had to compare it to, to something. I had to see the differences. So that's why when this, when Greg's tour popped up and I'd been waiting, you know, two years through COVID, oh. <laughs> and Greg's tour popped up and I thought, this is perfect. This is exactly the tour I want to do. So, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely aimed at exactly your audience. I would say like academics or like people with, you know, like, it, that kind of interest in in North Korea and and general Korean Peninsula relations and yeah. stuff. So that's really great to hear. And you went to North Korea first, which is not something that a lot of people can say. Um, people always ask me, you know, did you go to North or South first? Actually, I, I went to South Korea first, but um, it's always a bit of a novelty. I remember I had one person on tour, um, that it was his literal. I mean, actually not because he had to go to China first, but it was his literal first ever travel. So North Korea, had he have been able to go straight, I can't remember his home country, but had he been able to go straight from his home country to North Korea without having to transit through China, that would have been his first ever country. So, it, it, And it's not, uh, it wasn't that unique that uh, because we had some other uh, tourists uh, whose first overseas trip was to North Korea. I remember on the last tour which Americans could attend, that was the beer festival tour, Pyongyang beer festival tour 2017. There was mm -hmm. a Korean American who just hopped on the plane and went to North Korea wow. as his first uh, overseas trip, just before it became unavailable for Americans. And also I had a family from Argentina where the parents who traveled with uh, um, the son and his fiance, that's what was their first overseas trip. So for, yeah, for some, uh, this is the yeah. first trip ever. Yeah. It's quite incredible. Um, and Peter, uh, let's have a little bit of an introduction from you first uh, and um, tell us where you've been before North Korea as well. Uh, <laughs> is it your well, first trip? Okay, right, right from the start, um, I'm a Kiwi and I've been basically, I, I left New Zealand, I think in 1970, 71, mm -hmm. and I was gonna travel for a year and 50 years later, I'm yeah. still traveling. I've never given up, you know. So I've wow. got infinite curiosity in everything. And uh, first of all, I went to the UK. I went to university in the UK at the Royal School of Mines. Mm -hmm. And then af after that, um, I got a job in the US. I worked in the US a couple of years. Um, then I got a job in Sweden. And so I basically worked all over the place. But I'm a, basically a mining engineer. I moved into finance about 40 years ago. So I describe myself now as a resource um, stockbroker. And part of that is running around the world, looking at mining opportunities all around the world for investment purposes. So I've seen it all, you know. Um, I've had hits on this. I've, I've seen everything. So, um, and then this chance to come to North Korea came up. I was getting a bit bored one day and I thought, what will I do to break the boredom? And I thought, <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'll go to North Korea. And I rang up a couple of friends and everyone said to me, mate, you're crazy. Why do you want to go to North Korea? Well, it's just curiosity. You know, I've been driven by curiosity from day one and I'm just curious. And I found North Korea to be, you know, a great place to go, um, a, gr a great trip. Um, 
and that's basically the story actually i'm just always looking around for interesting experiences you know and i've never really given up and the last interesting experience actually i'll tell you once that once the podcast is over but that's something else again okay <laughs> oh is it not podcast friendly yeah so look, that's, that's my background, mate, and I'm still travelling. I'm basically retired now. You know, I retired about 12 months ago, but I've got this curiosity, you know, and I think there are two types of people in this world, people that are curious and people that are not. And if you're curious, you never give up, you know. Mm. And I'm just basically curious. It's got me into a lot of trouble, but it's been a lot of fun along the way, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah I can definitely relate. I think when people ask me, why I travel so much and you know I used to think that it was like a normal thing to want to travel so much and to want to find out so much and to be so curious and then people started like when I started to grow older and then people I started to realize like hey why are you just sitting at home and doing nothing and why don't you you know people would ask me why do you travel so much and I'm like is am I not normal and then I realized like you know that most people actually don't. <laughs> That's yeah. what I realised. Yeah. Most, most people don't embrace change. You know, most people mm. like to live um, a, a pretty constant life. No, I just embrace change. I just get bored very quickly. You know, and the job, when I was working, it took me one year to learn my job, then one year to do it well, and then I was bored. It was time to do something else. And my whole life has been like that, you know, a series of doing it well, getting bored, trying onto something else. And North Korea was just part of it. You know, this is part of a something that goes back many, many years, mate. This is not just something that came out of the blue, you know. So, mm. you know, and, and part of that, like in the last uh, 15 years also, I've been doing a high-altitude mountaineering too and nearly killed myself a couple of times. So oh my God. I've been out, out there, I've been out there on the, on, the, on, on the limits, right out there on the limits now for a long, long time. And North Korea, quite frankly, was you know pr pretty pretty soft compared to some of the other stuff I've been up to but anyhow that's a lot of that's a story for another day yeah. so what Peter why did you decide to join this South Korea trip was it your first time in South Korea or uh the reason I decided to go to South Korea was I found um the North Korean trip was great but it was a bit of a bubble you go there in a bubble mm. You've got certain people with you you, you yeah. have certain limited contact with North Koreans but it's very limited the South Korean trip looked like it was far broader reach, and we can probably get onto this later. But I just found the South Korean trip was a totally different experience. You know, it was yeah. it was extremely informative. The North Korean thing was great from a visual point of view, but it was a, it was a looking trip, okay? And and also the people on the trip were totally different. The the, the North yes. Korean trip we did, they were they, they were younger. You know, the mm -hmm. the trip in into South Korea. There were some serious intellects there, you know, some serious, serious people and some great conversations. And the presence of the US military also was fantastic. You know, I learned so much from it. The, the, the North Korean trip was a great visual trip, but the learning part of the experience was really in South Korea. Yeah, totally. And just to give people a little bit of context as well, um, I actually went with Peter uh, to North Korea. Was it, it was 2019, no, or 2018. It was about oh, 20, 2019. 18 or 19, mate. I've lost track. I think we were the, basically the last trip into North Korea. We went about was, August, yeah. and I think about three months later, they shut the whole place down. Exactly, yeah. So it was 2019, and we went on like 
summer holiday tour and that trip was a lot of young people I have to say actually um the the age group was probably on average a little bit younger than we usually have and I think that's because it coincides with summer holidays with from university and stuff like that as well so that's a little bit of context with that one and, and um, also excuse me just yeah. to but it, so there was there's all there was also at the end uh changing demographics for the Corio tours customers mm. so uh it was a bit more like the South Korean trip uh, uh, in many tours. And then uh, because of competition and so on and so on, we had to change a little bit. And that also shifted in the demographics. Yeah. So, Which is a good uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> but um, almost, by, almost by definition. The trip yeah. to North Korea had to be a lot different from South Korea, just from a communicating point of view. I mean, there's a limited things you can say in North Korea, limited people you can contact with. The South Korean thing was open to everyone. And on top of that, it was amplified by the fact of the, the, uh, the quality of the people on the trip and also mm -hmm. the speakers that they brought in. And that was a result of doing something with NK News. NK News was a great addition there. And I, I would say... If you can do that in North Korea, bring in other North yeah. Korean organizations that are prepared oh, okay. to talk about these things, and the answer is probably no. But mm. I just thought the format for the South Korean trip was just fantastic, mm. quite frankly. It's interesting you say that because I feel like we do, in some respects, have these kind of organized things in North Korea, certainly not to the same extent as a, as a South Korean tour, which we will, I promise to listeners, get onto in a minute. But I think you make an interesting point that if we set up something like that in North Korea, then a lot of people, you then get the backlash of this is staged, this is curated. Um, yes. And so it's the, you know, this vicious circle that you get in into North Korea is these things would be great, but I can imagine the kind of comments that we get on it is like people would not enjoy it because they would say, well, it's all for a show, it's all staged. You know, you actually have a load of um, explanations and really in-depth ex explanations in some places that you go, but a lot of people, it just flies right over their head because they're in that whole, well, this is North Korea. They have to say there's this. There's a way to handle that, Zoe. And that mm. is, I think you could run different trips to North Korea with different focuses, you know, mm. Like the, the trip, the, the trip I was with with you was really a tourist thing. You know, we, we had a look yeah. around and all, everyone had a great time, and it was a great yeah. trip. But there's another class of person that would go to North Korea that had a mm. far different focus. I mm. reckon you could run different trips into North Korea depending on different people's interests. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. We kind of try, and I really wanted to do a hiking tour, for example. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of tried these uh, specific uh, tours, but the problem is that the market is so small. Yeah. that uh, there is a very tricky point when either we don't have enough people or it makes it so expensive because you know that there is going to be a limited yeah. amount of yeah. people that people yeah. want to sign up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think with the hiking tour at least, we could run it like every two or three years because in two or three years we will you know, have yeah. uh, uh, enough people. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, one of our competitors stopped their aviation tours. They had an amazing tour mm. and you could uh, fly all uh, Air Korea aircrafts. It was like for uh, aviation enthusiasts. And then after a while, they just had to stop it because all the people who were interested in aviation has already been on the tour 
and the pool of yeah. people just emptied. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, I think, but nevertheless, we should uh, always, you know, try. Because if you don't try, we don't know how it would work out. So yeah. probably when the, the uh, country opens up, we can do this experiment as well. Yeah. And we focus on one uh, specific area mm. and then see how it goes. And now people probably are North Korea information thirsty. So maybe yes. now is going to be the best time to try again with uh, specialist tours in North Korea. Yeah, well. I have to say, I, I found it fascinating that Curio Travel teamed up with uh, NK News to run a joint trip. And, and that added so much to the trip. And I'm not sure whether it's possible to do a similar joint arrangement in North Korea with some North Korean organization also. Mm. The answer is probably not, but I just raised the subject because I just thought the, 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 what, what NK News brought to the table on top of what Curio Travel brought to the table, I thought was just fantastic. And then that started building on itself as the tour went on. Mm. I mean, some fascinating people on that trip. In fact, I, I would go as far as to say some of the people on the trip were as interesting as some of the people that were brought in from outside. I mean, there was some real experience mm. on that South mm. Korean trip there. And it started coming out. And, you know, when I do a trip, I look certain expectations. And quite often on the trip, I get far more than that. Well, I can tell you the trip to South Korea, my expectations were exceeded many, many times over. And a lot of it was not just the Curio travel and the NK News, but the people on the trip themselves contributed mm. so much. I mean, there were very high class. There was a very, I don't normally like organized trips, mate. So for me to come out and give a big tweak to an organized trip, even though, look, there were certain organizational things you could have criticized. But the, the main thing was that there was such a synergy of people and all that. The whole thing was going the whole time. I mean, people from the, the US military, for instance, you know. They were seriously smart people. I learned a lot about the US military on that particular trip. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a fascinating trip. But I don't know what you think. My biggest worry about the trip, I, I can say this now, so particularly being a woman, um, I remember the first evening and I came down and everyone sta was standing there. And at that time, I was the only woman, you know, like mm. people were still mm. gathering. Yeah. And I was sort of coming out of the left area and I and it just went through my mind. I thought, oh, my God, what have I let myself in for? Who are these people going to be? Mm. <laughs> but actually, within about 10 minutes, I went, hey, these people are really interesting. And it was kind of relieved when a couple of women turned up as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think you're absolutely right. The tour itself is fantastic. It's really, it's got sort of great elements to it, but actually equally as fantastic was just the absolute diversity of people on that yeah. bus, yeah. you know, and it ranged from, from youngish people um, through to people like Peter and myself um, with many years of seasoned <laughs> judgment. Um, so it was absolutely fascinating and just all sorts of backgrounds so so there were a couple of um, US military people on the trip but but basically on holiday because they wanted to right. explore um, this idea as well um, there were um, other journalists um, there were people from um, uh, uh, from embassies in Seoul who wanted to sort of go out and learn on this trip as well um, it was, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Such a great diversity of people. And every day I would talk to someone different and they were all fascinating. So it was one of my favourite things about the trip, actually. There was amazing. one guy that had worked on AIDS stuff into North Korea yes. many, many times. Yeah. 
times. Yeah. And he had actually seen an operation in a North Korean hospital where they never used anesthetics. They took a woman's appendix out, I think it was, without anesthetics, you know, just, you know, the type of things you'd never hear in North Korea, but was a reflection of what goes on in North Korea. There were people like that there, people with enormous experience being in and out of North Korea. Whereas the North Korean trip that I was on was more a lot of young people that were going there to tick a box they'd been to yeah. North Korea. Mm. And it was a great trip and all of that. But it was a, it was a totally different experience from the, the South Korean one. There were people in the in the, amongst the guests there that yeah. knew as much as some of the as some of the speakers. Mm. You know, there was a very, very high quality audience. Amazing. So it, it was serious, sorry. but also fun. <laughs> So a huge amount of fun too. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge amount of fun. I mean, so so there was a lot of learning and talking and, and sharing, but at the same time, boy, we had some really, you know, we had great food, uh, we had a few beers, um, you know, found strange cafes and strange places. <laughs> um, had the best crab stew I've ever had in my life. Um, yeah, so all equally like serious, but also um, a huge amount of fun as well. So, and I think again because of that diversity of people, there was a so, North Korean, a, a South Korean female officer there that was great on the karaoke. You know, you see her grab a karaoke thing, she's out of control. You know, so there was a huge amount of entertainment went on, um, mm. but but there was a it, it was run at a very high intellectual level most of the time. Also, it was a lot of fun, and it was it was a great trip actually. Mm-hmm. I am loving the enthusiasm and amazing feedback for the tour. Unfortunately, most of our listeners still don't know what on earth is the tour that we're talking about. Um, so I'm going to put everyone who's listening out of their misery. Um, okay. Just before I do that, um, Peter, I just want to say um, in terms of the specialist tours as well, and for anyone that's listening, um, Choreo Tours do actually have a whole section on their website for specialist tours. Um, and that is generally for people that want that have a specialism and that maybe have a little bit more money and they can do a private tour and we can facilitate things like a golfing tour or um you know an aviation tour and anything that you could imagine that you have an interest in North Korea tour Korea tours can do it um but obviously these tours generally tend to be private tours just because as we were making the point before um you know the, if there's not enough interest we can't make it into a tour um I want to pass the mic over to Greg now for a few minutes um, as you basically give us a little bit of a rundown on what on earth this tour is that apparently is so great. I mean, I've never been on it. I want to join this year now after hearing all you guys speak about it. Greg, let us, um, yeah, give us an intro. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, the, so basically there's a history of Korea tours trying to arrange touring to South Korea and it became uh, more present when I joined the tour because I always uh, try to understand the Korean Peninsula as a whole, not just North and South uh, opposing each other. But honestly, it didn't really work out. We had only three customers joining our one Korea tour, traveling to the North and to the South. And then the pandemic came and no one could travel anywhere. And that was true for Chad O'Carroll, who is uh, the head of MK News. He's stuck in uh, South Korea. So he started to travel in South Korea. And he went to, he started to discover all the places around, along the border, the DMZ. And then um, they, they reached out to us, probably because they knew that, that back, back then I was living in South Korea, that, hey, if Korea opens up, like South Korea, then we should arrange a tour and to see the value of the tourist sites along the southern side of the DMZ 
on how much you can potentially learn about, or at least if not necessarily learn, but start to think about North Korea. Um, and then that's how this whole tour uh, came about. Um, so, and basically uh, we visited and we're going to visit this year. Um, most of the things available from this time from west to east. So we're going to go to Yongpyeongdo, uh, which is a small island uh, on the West Sea or the Sea of China, if some people like it better. Um, which is uh, around the northern limit line, which is the extension of uh, the, the demarcation, the, the, the demarcation line uh, on the mainland. And also that's the area where some sea battles took place uh, around, uh, not around, but in 2002 uh, during the uh, World Cup. Uh, also there was a, shelling by North Korea of the island. Uh, one of the main sites is actually uh, dedicated to that, uh, the civilian um, security learning center or something like that. Um, and then we're going to visit uh, obviously more uh, reachable places like uh, the observatories near Seoul and Paju. Uh, potentially the joint security area. However, now to be honest, a little bit of concern because of the recent events, if it's going to be possible, we can talk a little bit about it uh, a bit later if anyone wants. Um, and then the Chorgon, which is kind of the midpoint of uh, the uh, DMZ on the mainland. And I think there we have one of the best observatories, uh, uh, the Victoria, no, yes, Sumni, Victoria Observatory. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but that's where we got closest to the border. And that's where we tried to figure out the two different fences on yeah. the, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's the best observatory because uh, that really represents how the DMZ looks like uh, nature-wise and also the military installations. And then we will go as far as uh, Kosong. Uh, Kosong is known to be the only uh, township in Korea, which is divided between the north and the south. And actually the whole area is supposed to belong to the north, but it just you know, shifted as on the west coast is the other way around. Um, and that's where you can see Kumgangsan and you can see also the facilities they used to uh, uh, use for, uh, you know, um, facilitating inter-Korean tourism uh, processing between the two countries. And uh, then uh, we did visit two museums in Seoul, which is, I guess, related to the uh, whole issue, the War Memorial or the Korean War Museum, and also the Contemporary History Museum, uh, to see, you know, to have uh, background knowledge about uh, how South Korea developed after 1945, because not much is being talked about that. Like most mm. of the people think that, you know, after 1945, South Korea was a democracy mm. and started its own uh, miraculous economic development. No, until 1990, uh, South Korea was a quite tough dictatorship and there were some very similar things to uh, North Korea, for example, the length of the skirts women could use, also recommended hairstyles, uh, pornography, for example, is still banned in South Korea as of today. 
So, um, okay. and so uh, I think uh, that museum also adds value to the tour. Uh, but this year we won't have the other touristy sites in so that some say uh, our uh, guests will have to arrange for themselves. It's just about um, to ask yeah, you know. So that is in a nutshell. And obviously in the evenings, uh, we will have uh, guest speakers to talk about certain aspects of uh, North Korea. Uh, we will have Professor Lankov uh, during our trip who will talk about all things North Korea related, uh, like how they start a business in North Korea, for example, that was uh, pretty informative, uh, how the construction industry works, etc., um, etc. Et uh, and then uh, some people who have experience living in North Korea, some people have experience working with North Koreans in negotiations. So um, we will have a, a great pool of uh, guest speakers as well. Yeah. So the, um, this is the second time that the tour is running. Is there any reason why you changed it from east to west, west to east? Yes, logistics. Uh, as Leslie and uh, Peter will recall, we had some uh, worries at the end of the tour uh, when uh -huh. we were uh, going to Yongpyeongdo. Um, the ferry is not reliable in a sense that it's uh, very sensitive to weather and cancellations are possible. So we decided to go on the ferry ride first at the very uh, beginning of the tour so that no one has to worry about uh, you know, how to get out of the island and if they're going to catch the flight back to wherever they are flying. So that's, that's the main reason, logistics. Okay, mm -hmm. and you took out the originally there was a little bit in Seoul, right? But I was going to ask you the question, you know, for the first time in South Korea, people obviously want to see a little bit of Seoul. Um, but I think you answered that for me is that if someone was to come on this tour, they should arrange that for themselves beforehand um, or afterwards, I suppose, because mm -hmm. there's nothing about there's there's nothing normal touristy about this tour as far as I can understand it's very specialized and if you do want to do the touristy stuff you have to do that in your own time I, yes. I actually came 10 days beforehand and right I did, 10 days yeah before. so I, I came and saw you know the bits of, of Seoul um, I hope to go to Jeju typhoon got in the way oh, but yeah. that's exactly what I did I did 10 days beforehand and then I did the tour. So that's what I would recommend to people. It's a good way of doing it too. I sort of, I, I climatized before I yeah. actually went on the tour. Yeah. And Leslie, as an add-on to that, what I would say is if you go to North Korea first, if you've got a choice mm. between the North Korea first and South Korea, go to North Korea first, because you come out of North oh. Korea with a lot of questions that aren't answered. But mm. in South Korea, on the trip we were on, there were so many specialists there you could get answers that you'd never get in North Korea. And, for, and, and they weren't propaganda answers. These were people that seriously knew what they were talking about. Like Professor Lankoff, Leningrad University, um, studied in Pyongyang University, was a, a professor at ANU in, in, in Australia. I mean, was flown into the United States to advise Obama on Korean policy. I mean, there were some high-level people there, including the councillor, the political councillor for the Japanese embassy. There were people there from, from uh, the European Union of very, very high level. And mm -hmm. a lot of these people had a lot of Korean specialties and a lot of knowledge. So it really added to the whole thing. I don't know what you think, Greg. Yes, I, I do agree. And um, I also learned from some of the people who mm. came on tour. Uh, but actually, it, it happens most of the time. Uh, uh, 
on a regular tour, I usually learn from questions. Mm. On this tour, I was learning from the conversations. Uh, and uh, I do agree with Peter that uh, uh, it is advisable to go to North Korea, not only just for the uh, reasons you uh, brought up, that like, you know, you come back with a lot of questions and you will have uh, your questions ready for the experts on the South Korea trip. But yeah. also I think because you will always make compressions and it's easier to, you know, have the reverse shock that you go to mm -hmm. uh, the less well-to-do, more shocking country first, and then you go to like a Western uh, democracy uh, type of country. Uh, because then it's easier to process the differences, I believe so. Yeah. And you won't be focusing on that much on uh, uh, the obvious uh, differences mm -hmm. if, as if it was the other way around. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I do agree. It's something that, that, that I thought a bit about, the, the, you know, which way around. And the only mm. thing that I would say there is when I went to North Korea, certainly the first time, you do go in with so many, um, you go in, it's not baggage, but you just go in with preconceptions. Yeah. So I would see things and think of them being, oh, that's North Korea. I now know I saw some of those same things in the, the more rural parts of South Korea. I went, no, not North Korean. That's right. just yeah. regional yeah. Korean. That's just, yeah. you know, because we have perceptions of both South and North. We have perceptions of the North as being very grey and dreary and dangerous and, you know, and we have these perceptions of South Korea being tall, silver, shiny yeah. buildings. But actually one of the interesting things of the trip was getting outside the big cities like Seoul and going into the countryside and seeing how people live and subsist um, who aren't wealthy Solites. So they were actually, we're getting, it gets a bit into the comparison, but there were things that I realised, oh, that was an absolute assumption of my part in North Korea because I knew nothing about Korea at all when I went there. So yeah. it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. I, Actually, I feel that, oh, go on. Yeah. Sorry, Leslie has an amazing collection of comparisons uh, on her Instagram. Oh, okay, it's, okay. It's like, like she has a very good eye to pick okay. up these similarities okay. and yeah. capturing them. As I went but through the trip, yeah, I was seeing things. There were actually moments where I was sort of going, oh, which, which career am I in? And so I sort of sat down, I was seeing things and I was thinking, I saw something just like that in North Korea. So when I, um, at the end of the trip, I did do a little Instagram series where I didn't say where the photos were. That's interesting. So you could look at it and sort of, it was like, it's almost like a trivia quiz. Is this South mm. Korea or is this North Korea? You know, I will, so. yeah. I'll pop mm. your Instagram in the show notes, Leslie, but can you just tell us um, how we can find you on Instagram? Uh, so on Instagram, I'm foliopix, which is F-O-L-I-O-P-I-X. Excellent. Folio and I'll put that in the show notes as yeah. well. Um, I think it's super interesting. So we just brought um, up, we brought up earlier about the South Korean history and just to tie all of that together, I want to urge listeners to look into South Korean history a little bit if you are interested in North Korea at all, because 
it's really interesting. It's something that I didn't know. I had no idea that South Korea wasn't this big capitalist democracy that we know it today. I was born in the 90s. So I've grown up with South Korea as the capitalist entity that we know it today. Um, and this big democracy and stuff like that. But um, when you look at its very recent history, it's really not. And it's very interesting to see that, you know, at first, North Korea's economy was, you know, growing better than South Korea's, which a lot of people don't know. It wasn't long until South Korea took over, um, you know, but it's still very interesting to view it that way. And I think, Leslie, what you were saying before as well about the comparisons, it must be very interesting to leave the South Korean city life and see that these two countries have not been separated for a long time. And I'm sure that going out of the big cities in South Korea, you can probably see a lot more of the similarities Absolutely. that is inherently just Korean culture. It's not South Korean, it's not North Korean, it's just Korean because it hasn't been that long since they've been separated. And it's mm -hmm. nice to hear that, you know, you can see those kind of things still in, in South mm -hmm. Korea as well. But as far as looking at the response, South Korean comparison from a, a trip point of view, the North Korean thing almost has to be a visual experience more than else, anything else with a limited conversation. The South Korean one is visual, but a huge amount of conversation with mm. highly informed people about the Korean situation. So in North Korea, you get the North Korean experience. Fair enough. That's what you would expect. In South Korea, you get the South Korean experience, but you also get the North Korean experience. There are specialists on that trip that know North Korea backwards, and they've got a huge amount to add to the whole thing. So mm -hmm. that's why I say North Korea first, you can get the visual experience, but if you want the intellectual experience, you, uh, particularly on our trip, I don't know whether every trip's going to be organised like ours, but there were very, very high quality people there. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how many trips around the world get organised where the advisor to the American president was there. You know, I mean, this doesn't happen. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that was the level of which the trip was run in South Korea at a very high level. There was the political advisor to the Japanese embassy in, in uh, Seoul was there. Now, the Japanese-Korean history is a very problematic history, to say the least. And there's, huge, there's a huge amount of Korean history there. The Chinese influence, the Japanese influence in particular, it's just, it's, there's a huge amount to learn. Now, you're restricted in, in North Korea just simply because it's, you're in a bubble. Mm. But in South Korea, you're not in a bubble. It all comes out. It all comes out. And it's fascinating. There were certainly questions, you know, it's absolutely true. There were certainly there were some really big questions that I had not been able to settle in my mind. You know, one of the major ones being, why would North Korea attack the South? Like, mm. you'd be, you know, you'd be insane. But actually, I was able to ask experts those questions mm -hmm. and actually get an answer that that sort of made sense. You know, so well, it's not. It's not, you know, we think of, oh, the North is going to attack the South and take over and turn it into this one country run by the Kims. But really, it would be more about um, invading the top of the South, which is fantastic agricultural land and they're short on agricultural land, and then actually using that partly as leverage. So they, they you know, the, this idea of the Kims as being cartoon characters and being insane is, is not right. But they, they do have a strategy that uh, these very smart people in the South understand, which is they would come over the border, but then they would basically use it as blackmail to get certain concessions and probably keep some of that land. It would not be unlike what's happened in, in 
Russia than that eastern part um, that they've taken off Ukraine. You know, there's certain parts of South Korea the Kims would really like to have, but they're not going to go to Seoul. Um, but yeah, so it's those really big questions that you're thinking, you, I just don't really understand this. I need someone to answer that. And I had some of those, those questions answered. Doesn't mean that person was right that told me that, but that, that was a theory. I thought, yeah, actually, I could, I, I get that. Yeah. There's several interesting things just happened in the last couple of weeks. For the first time, North Korea is now talking about South Korea as a separate country. And I mm. picked this up on, on, the, on the podcasts that were from NK News. Now, that's never happened before because the unification thing's been absolutely huge. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But the North Koreans almost seem to be testing out now whether the unification thing is really not going to work at all. And we've got to take our own path on this thing. And, mm. and NK News made that point the other day that this conversation is taking place in North Korea now about whether they should treat themselves separately. And this has enormous ramifications. For instance, the northern, the northern separation line out in the ocean is actually an armistice line. Now, if they're two separate countries, that line changes dramatically under international law. So there's a whole, there's a whole lot of things going on just underneath the surface. And on top of that, North Korea has been backed into a corner. It's under enormous sanctions at the moment. And it can't carry on the way it's going. Something's got to give. I mean, if there's a breakout, you know, I, I got the impression when I was in South Korea, you know, South Korea wouldn't, wouldn't agree with this because they live with it every day of the week. But quite frankly, for me, um, if war had broken out tomorrow, I wouldn't have been surprised. I mean, the place is so tense. There's military all over the place. Mm. Anything could go wrong at any any point in time. And on, on that Yongkyong Island, that did happen back in 2010. You know, the North Koreans started shelling it. And an interesting thing that came out of that was the Americans had to hold back the Koreans. You know, there's always the danger of thinking the North Koreans are behind every evil thing that goes on. But the American Marines were saying that one of their main reasons for being in South Korea is to hold back the South Koreans. And we, we saw this on the border also. The South Koreans had moved and one, one place we went to, and Greg would, I think, think was referring to this before, the South Koreans had moved their fighting positions well into the demilitarized zone. And, and the fact that the, the Marines were saying that 80% of the problems they have are with South Koreans, not North Koreans. Now, that's not generally known. But you've got to do a trip like this to sort of understand these things. It's very, very complex. And Koreans also basically don't like outsiders you know mm. they're nationalistic to the extreme you know mm. and there's a you know they, they don't like outsiders at all i think that's right isn't it greek am i i'm not exaggerating am i no yeah no and, 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 and actually, uh, just to pick up on uh, you know the main reason why americans is there 
It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% positive that South Korea would have started the Korean War yes. if the Americans and uh, Truman didn't hold them back. So that's why the Americans kept all weaponry for South Korea so low, because uh, Sinman Rhee was petitioning uh, Truman to let him to attack the North. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, uh, I do agree. Uh, with you that uh, uh, American presence is needed so that we avoid any uh, conflict. Mm. And uh, yes, uh, Koreans, let it be North or South Koreans, are can be extremely nationalistic. Yeah, yes. or yeah, nationalistic, yeah. patriotic, determined. Almost racist. The point of almost being racist, mate. Uh, yeah, but I don't think racism. we can apply apply Western concepts of racism in mm. East Asia. It's more like an ignorance and uh, chauvinism. Uh, I, I I was thinking like uh, for after, like during the five years I spent in China and North Korea, uh, China and Korea, um, I was thinking a lot about this concept of like to what extent uh, East Asians are racist. And um, I don't think that we can uh, describe that with Western concepts of racism. It's more like a complex of chauvinism and ignorance. Mm. And pride. Ignorance to the to the uh, to the political debates uh, going on in the West. Mm. uh, The lack of knowledge of political correctness. The lack of uh, the experience of uh, like the Holocaust, which is did influence uh, Western thinking for sure after 1945, um, but it would lead us to a different. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, let's get back. <laughs> let's get back to if, if I can apply that to the tour, like as a as a woman traveling on her own, mm. um, and and let's face it, that you know, like my husband would have wanted to come on that tour, so. So I spent time in Korea on my own, just as a tourist, just for 10 days. But actually, um, I don't know, maybe it's because of my age, Um, maybe because I was on my own. A friend of mine who has lived in Korea for many years said, if you go on your own, you will be adopted. And I actually had fantastic experiences with Korean people who saw that I was on my own usually looking a bit lost um yeah so 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 i just just to balance that i it was a it was a great place to visit as a yeah, but sorry that's because they knew that you only came different for things yeah, yeah and and i think that ju- i don't want to carry on with this topic so much but i do find it interesting greg's point of you know it's it i don't know you know it's different from western style racism and stuff but it's it reminds me very much of um, you know, in Japan and in Taiwan, especially, I really feel that it's they are so welcoming to foreigners. And as a tourist, you are completely welcomed in and you will be treated amazingly. Not Nothing like you would be treated in the West. You know, in, in the UK, you get treated like rubbish as a foreigner half the time as a tourist, you know. But there is a very big limit to this welcomeness and to this kindness. And that yeah. limit is when you start to want to be in the country permanently and yeah. you know, you've overstayed your welcome and you definitely yeah. start to feel like that in, um, in East Asia. But I don't wanna get into that too much because I do want to carry on with this tour. So we keep speaking about the guest speakers um, and they keep popping up. So I want to cover this topic a little bit um, because guest speakers are not a normal thing that you have on tour. And a lot of people might be curious as to why we keep talking about guest speakers and 
And maybe Greg, you can start with a bit of an introduction and then Leslie and Peeb, you can kind of chime in with, you know, any anything that you want to, but Greg, can you just introduce the concept of having guest speakers on tour, um, who we have to a certain extent, because I understand that um, some of the names cannot be mentioned for whatever reason, but what type of demographic that you have and how you pick those guest speakers and, and stuff like that, and what, what the general concept of the guest speaker is. Do we have to sit in lectures every night, you know? <laughs> oh, you, you never have to do anything. You can always do <laughs> some people do so because uh, yeah. some of the converse, like, like, you know, usually, so what happened, and it will be different this time, uh, we won't have dinner together because right. uh, that to a certain extent, I wasn't, wouldn't say disastrous, but it wasn't the best uh, solution. So we will have some kind of lectures and then uh, whoever wants to, you know, uh, go have dinner can go have dinner. So basically the idea is that we have like kind of an introductory uh, lecture and then we open the floor for discussion and questions. And that's the most interesting part actually. Because as I said, questions, I always learn more from questions mm. than anything else. Um, so basically we have specialists or experts um, on some days related to the visits of to that day. For example, uh, when we had our uh, visit to the JSA, we had someone who worked in that area and who uh, worked together with North Koreans in the JSA. Uh, actually, and actually, and he himself enjoyed the tour so much that he joined us, decided to join us for dinner and then for drinks afterwards. Um, so basically, uh, he came on the tour for the whole day, guiding us through the JSA and the JSA area. And then um, we had, uh, he didn't have like really a lecture, but we had conversations uh, during dinner and uh, over drinks and all, the, all, all kinds of questions popped up. For example, Peter throughout the whole tour wanted to learn why, why Americans are still there. And I think one of the biggest uh, conversations uh, about this topic uh, was with uh, this person. Then um, we have uh, people who have a good understanding of the DMZ, how DMZ uh, is working, uh, the changes in the area, but also he is a kind of a distinguished guest speaker. So he talks about the situation on the peninsula. Uh, so he also brought in some aspects of Korean society today, uh, uh, history, um, perspective, historical perspectives, and some very interesting remarks on uh, North Korean political developments as well and how he sees the North Korean regime. It was quite interesting, and as he pointed out, it would have been a dangerous statement 20 years ago in South Korea. Uh, he basically said that uh, President uh, Kim Il-sung was actually working for the Korean people. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we also have uh, some more uh, specific areas, uh, which I don't really want to go into details, but that was the most more classic like uh, uh, lecture and then Q and A's, and also we had a chance to have, to sit down with some of the NK new stuff to learn, and, and that was quite uh, because um, it was a quite reassuring experience for me because I'm always uh, skeptical about everything which is in the media in, in, in the North Korea. 
and even knew I knew uh, even though I knew Chad, I didn't know the, the process they work, and they described us how they put together an article, how they work on a story, uh, what do they publish, what do they don't publish, what is the criteria for publishing, and you learn that there is, there are still reliable journalists. Yeah. Uh, who, as, a former, you know, as a former journalist, I was very impressed with that. Yeah. Like, you know, how you make sure that uh, what you provide as an information mm -hmm. is accurate, or if not necessarily 100% accurate, you make sure that the audience knows about it. Mm -hmm. I think that was, uh, after Professor Lankov, for me personally, the NK News lecture was the most enlightening because. The, that's one of my primary sources about mm. North Korea, especially these days, mm. and to learn about the processes and the ethics behind it was mm. reassuring and uh, mind opening. Mind? No, eye opening. <laughs> um, I'd say to you that, that we use that you're using the word lecture, but just remember this is only twenty people on a tour too. So, so this yeah, is yeah. really this is a very intimate um, mm. environment. You know, so you're not sitting in a big room and someone's talking at you to to a hundred people. This is twenty people sitting around a table, so it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I'll tell you an interesting story about Professor Lenkoff. Actually, I was talking to him one day because he was professor at ANU University in Australia. You know, a top position in Australia. Then he went to South Korea, and I asked him why. He said, "Mate, I was just getting bored, stupid in Canberra." <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you've been to Canberra, you know. He was a guy that was following his passion he went to South Korea and he could have lived a very easy life in Canberra ANU and all the rest the top professorship the whole lot but he went he went to South Korea to live his passion yeah mm -hmm. excellent yeah. yeah definitely sounds more like perhaps we can describe it like a seminar we, we would call this kind of thing like a seminar instead of a lecture where it's uh, you know in British universities anyway where it's kind of like the lecture's there and like they might introduce a topic, but it's more about group discussion and stuff. So yeah. I'm very jealous actually. Yeah. Q&A with a 20 minute introduction or something like that. Yeah, yeah like a structured Q&A. So yeah. this is in the evening times or this is, you know, uh, as part of a lecture or a set time, but we're still on tour, right? Um, we're still traveling. This The main aspect of this, apart from the learning, is still the travel. So I want to talk a little bit about the itinerary and um, the things that you get up to. And I want to kind of start that maybe with asking Leslie and Pete, what are your favorite things on the itinerary or your most memorable or the most shocking or, you know, pick something and, uh, and let me know. Uh, Pete, do you want to go first? Yeah, okay. Look, I think one of the highlights of the trip for me was on Yongpyong Island. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a seawall there. I mean, Yongpyong, you've got to understand, is, is um, where we were, in one part of it anyhow, is only a few kilometres from the northern limit line, which mm -hmm. divides North Korea and South. It's probably only 500 metres offshore. And we were walk walking along the beach there, and there was a seawall there that had machine gun posts built into the wall. And I thought, you know, if I was in Manly walking along a beach there, and there was a seawall there with machine gun posts built into the wall. What on earth would I think? And, you know, that, that type of thing really stuck with me. When you see that, and particularly when you remember that Yongpong Island was artilleried very badly in, in 2010, you realise war could break out at any moment. And this is something South Koreans sort of, they live with it every day and they forget about it. But I came away from South Korea thinking, and particularly now when the tensions are real, really building up, 
um, uh, that war could break out at any moment. And Professor Lankoff said that the thing that really worried him was that he was really concerned that the North Koreans are going to start moving towards tactical nuclear weapons because it's the only way they're ever going to beat the South. And straight after we left, the North Koreans announced that, you know, that they're going to move. So the whole of that area, war could break out at any moment. You know, I always feel like I'm in Poland in 1938, you know, um, and you're just, you're just sitting there watching it and everyone else is oblivious to it. If you're an outsider going in, you really see it. But if you live there, you've lived with it so long, people just accept mm -hmm. it. You know, and you come out of Seoul and you go down the river there. I forget what the name of the river is. And it's got barbed wire all the mm -hmm. way down it to keep out mm -hmm. inf infiltrators and all the rest. And you see all that and people live with it every day and they just accept it. But, mm -hmm. you know, to me, it was just a shock to go there and just realise, particularly when you follow what's happened in the news recently, that, you know, <laughs> things could go very bad very, very quickly, you know. I don't know what you thought. I don't know what your view was there, Leslie. Yeah, Yon Pangado um, was was absolutely a highlight because you you were really. Um, th this is not a tourist town. This is a little island um, with a seafood industry, and I can't remember the population, but it is not many. Five thousand, like five thousand. Wow, five thousand. And four thousand were troops. Yeah, wow. that's right. I was going to say the actual the actual villages, if you like, if you took away the troops, it's probably five hundred people. Um, so that was fascinating to go there. Uh, one small highlight, and you guys found the cafe, uh, Peter, but um, yeah. but we we went back, and the woman proprietor there, um, she'd actually been on the island. She was there um, when it was shelled. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, the interesting thing, Peter, like you're saying, um, the attitude to it. So. I asked with the help of someone who spoke Korean, obviously, um, you know, what was it like? You know, what did it feel like? And, you know, her, the, what she said was, oh, it was great because all these international journalists came to my cafe. <laughs> you know, so that was, you know, just a completely different perspective on it. I sort of expected her to say, you know, it was terrible or it was scary or whatever, but she saw it. I guess she's a small businesswoman, you know. She saw it as, oh, it was amazing because all these international... Look at my photos with these international journalists on the wall. Wow. So that was kind of interesting and just sort of, yeah, emblematic of the way um, Koreans have come to live with this, I think. Um, but, it, but also, yeah, I mean, there was those similarities, like... Um, in North Korea, you know, we saw the tank traps, um, the the wire fencing along the coast when you're going to Wonsan and up to Kungangsan. Um, but the same things, we saw the tank traps, we saw the wire fences. You know, when we were up by uh, Sokcho, we stayed in this beautiful hotel. I can't remember whether it was a Ramadan or whatever it was. But then you walk down the road and there's a beach, but there's also, you know, this wire fencing and warnings and um, security cameras looking everywhere. So you do, you do realise that there is... You know, un, un, just under the surface, there is this tension, um, and yeah, there's an impact on the south as well as the north. There's there's those similarities, definitely. And you can and talk think... about this in South Korea on the South Korean trip, but you couldn't do it on the North Korean no. trip. Yeah. Right. I mean, the South Korean trip was conversation all the time. The North mm -hmm. Korean trip, you had to really watch what you say. You had to be respectful, and I understand all of that, but the conversation could only go so far. You know, in fact, I found in North Korea, the most interesting conversations I had were when the girl guys were getting a bit drunk at night and you got a bit of wine and beer into them. 
And then they'd start talking about what they wanted to talk about. And they're just other people, you know, they want to talk about their boyfriends, about their clothes and all the mm. rest. And I used to love those conversations. They were some of the few conversations that you genuinely felt people were saying what they felt. But the rest of it in, in North Korea was so curated. Um, it didn't have the same value as the conversations in South Korea. Yeah, I, 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 I often... Go on. I was going to say, I also the way... There was just... I, I'm a bit of a visual person as... as um, Greg will have picked up on, but I, you know, there was just funny little highlights. I love the bus. You know, the bus, yeah, the bus was sort of Baroque, um, a bit 1960s or 70s, or very comfortable, but just the, the decorations on the bus. I don't know if that was deliberately chosen to be a bit North Korean. I don't know. It wasn't. Nope. It was amazing. It was so funny. Um, and then the hotel we stayed at, oh, which I've forgotten the name of, it was on one of the beaches. It's going to come and take, yes, the condo, the condo. So, and that, I mean, and I know that was deliberately chosen to, to sort of give that sense of, you know, something in the South that was a bit like the North North Korea, it was a bit like being at Yangak Do. In fact, I, I, sh I shouldn't tell which, but that's two comparison shots with a foyer of the um, the, con the condo and the foyer of the Yangak Do. So um, why and is I, it so similar? I look at those photos and go, hang on, which one's which? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, the interior design is very North Korean. Yeah. But I mean, like, and, why? And, like, and where does that a... stem from? Hmm? Like, why? Why has it been deliberately done so, or is it because proximity no. to the border? Is it? It's just. It just it, could just be like the, the why the buses are similar. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so it, exactly so so it's it's that idea again that when we're in the Yangakdo yeah. in the north we think oh this is this is North Korea right. this is what hotels are like in North Korea no that's the same as a two and a half star hotel in South Korea and and my understanding is that normally they don't let international tourists go to yeah. that same hotel. as in China yeah. yeah because that that's a local hotel you know yeah. so we weren't meant to go there but they sort of convinced them that that we should go there yeah. so again that idea of it's not north korean it's just a right. certain hotel which yeah. is also the same thing there are some hotels that you can't go to as a foreigner in north korea for the exact same reasons you know I mean, that, yeah, that no, no, no. it's an it embarrassment is. to them they think that it's not good enough and it's the same in south korea and also same in china but yeah but in south korea there's no legal uh, no no legal right. not to go it's just again the korean mindset that there are certain yeah. things that yeah which is only for Koreans because Koreans are so different from foreigners mm. that foreigners mm. couldn't take it and then it would reflect bad upon us. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Comparisons. Let's chat about those for a little bit because um, I, I know we don't have so much time left, but um, I find that uh, very interesting. And I think we've brought it up quite a lot and probably all of our listeners are interested in since you've both been to North Korea, uh, sorry, all three of you have been to North Korea um, and then also been on the South Korea trip. Uh, what are some big comparisons that maybe we haven't already mentioned that you wanted to mention that you know really struck you or um any similarities as well you can also mention I think people um, people can be very very similar sorry very similar like yeah. how they talk how they react to certain things certain mm. uh, facial expressions mm. um that, but, you know that i found fascinating uh, even even you know they like a drink and when they've had a drink they like yeah. a song yeah you know, like, oh, yeah it's a similarity it's just yeah, yeah. it's there, there are certain things that are just um yeah not north or south just korean so mm. 
And how about since um, I know you went in 2015 and 2018, it was Leslie, mm -hmm. did you see any comparisons between those two times in North Korea? Oh, absolutely. Like, okay. like again, for me, the visual thing. So when I when I went in 2015, I felt like I had I was in a time machine. If we, I'm sort of talking in a way here about um, style, fashion, dress, you know. Mm. I felt like I was in a time machine and I was in the 1970s. Um, so I have I have photos of um, the clothes that people were wearing. Women had just, uh, you know, women were not allowed to wear trousers for a long time, but they were wearing these sort of flared pants. This was so 1970s. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, three years later, we were in the 1990s, bordering on early 2000s. You know, that's the amount of change. Like people were dressing differently. Uh, much smarter clothes, a different style of clothes. I saw women wearing what I would call funky shoes, you know, like it was so interesting. In three years, that amount of change was incredible. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, Peter, um, did you, you, oh, that's right, you only went once and then COVID shut everything down. Yeah. So to me, I would be tempted to go back again to see how fast mm. the clock has or hasn't moved, I would suspect, because of or the move backwards. Yeah, yes, exactly. Unfortunately. Because of sanctions and COVID, it could yeah. well have gone very much backwards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Peter, did you have anything that you wanted to say on comparisons? Yeah, uh, look, one of the most amazing things I found about North Korea was the Songbun system of social stratification. You're born at a certain level, depending on what your father or your grandfather did. And I believe it goes on for five generations. But if you're born in the wrong situation in, in, in North Korea, your life is hell forever and you can never get out of it. I mean, if your father was a Japanese, worked for the Japanese in the Second World War um, mm. and he was a high level official when you got caught in North Korea, mate, you'd be right at the bottom level. And I believe there's something like 50 stratifications in this. So I just found... Of course, you don't get that in South Korea, but I've found that whole social classification system just amazing. Now, you'll never see it on tour because the people we were traveling with, the guys and all the rest, are obviously at the top level of that. But it's a hugely stratified society. You know, very few people, are, people with any sort of class live in Pyongyang. But, you know, there are people living out in the country that are living on two or three dollars a month. Now, you don't see this on tour, but I know this from additional reading. But that songbound system, that classification system, is just horrendous. Although the songbound system has been abandoned to, like many people believe that it's not uh, in practice anymore, especially when it comes to uh, potential success in business. So it, it, it used to be very rigid and it used to be there, but now it's uh, either non-existent anymore or uh, less uh, observed. Yeah, I mean, in North, in North Korea, yeah, North Korea today, it is about money. You know, like if you have, yeah. if you have money, you can buy your way out of Songbun. Yeah, my understanding, and following from your point there, is when the North Korean economy started to open up and there's a bit of free enterprise, the Songbun yeah. system fell a wee bit to one side. It was all about money. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, and so that's what's happened. It's the money thing that's changed it. But nevertheless, underneath it all, it's a hugely yeah. stratified society. Mm. It's but, it's yeah, obviously it's not someone in, in, in uh, uh, South Korea, but in South Korea there is also a kind of uh, um, no, no, not similar at all, but the but still uh, your social status defines your whole career, 
let it be because of your uh, economic background or the home. So if certain politicians are in power and that politician is from a certain area, then yeah. suddenly the whole administration is going to be recruited from that area. So let's mm -hmm. say that uh, the president of South Korea is from uh, Gangwon province, then suddenly everyone who has connection to Gangwon province mm -hmm. will get better chances. If they went to the same university, then mm -hmm. people from that university will have more chances in advancement in the government. Uh, if it if they went to the same uh, army branch, then that army branch will be also favored. And it works not only just on presidential level; it works in all strata of South Korean society. You look at what university you went to. How much how much money have you got to pay to go to the cram school to get into the university? Which means you get the you know the 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 right job and the best company so you know there, there are different issues um at play in south korean society i'll tell you one, one issue that fascinated me was the focus on facial surgery or plastic surgery oh, yeah. in south korea yeah. Yeah. it's, 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 it's getting there in north korea you know, it's sure as hell don't oh, see yeah. that yeah. Korea, i can tell you yeah and, no, and, it, it, and, it seems actually, to be potentially it, it raises another thing about South Korea. Appearance mm. means a hell of a lot, you know? Mm. And so girls will use plastic surgery to the nth degree. You'll never see that in North Korea. But uh, the appearance thing, that Asian appearance thing and all the rest is very important there. I couldn't care less. You only have to look at the way I'm dressed to work that out. You know? I, I, yeah, I would argue, arguably say that that's a similarity that both North and South Korea have is that appearance is everything. Um, and you especially see that potentially not so much in the countryside in North Korea, but especially in Pyongyang, appearance really is everything. And you, as a person that lives in Pyongyang, you're expected to dress in a certain way. And I don't just mean you're expected to wear nice clothes, but you are expected to look good. Like your hair should be done nicely. You should have good makeup on as a woman. Um, you should be wearing high heels around. You know, I've never seen someone not wearing high heels as a woman in Pyongyang and I remember going out to the countryside with um, a couple of female guides that um, I often work with and um, it was their first time in this um, in the northeast I think it was their first time and we'd gone shopping um, and they'd seen these leggings that were um, you know pretty chilled and pretty you know probably from China they were the most you know pretty casual leggings and they were so excited to wear them in where we were staying we were actually staying in the homestay and they were excited to wear them and they would not come out of the house with them on they were like oh, we're not usually allowed to wear these like is it fine and I was like come on girls like I'm literally wearing the most casual thing like it's fine to walk around like that here and they're like we're not used to doing this and so um Yang. Yeah. yeah, and and interestingly, the plastic surgery thing has started to be a thing in North Korea. I think that the only thing that's stopping it is, um, unfortunately, the availability. I think that if it had the availability like it does in South Korea, then North Korea would unfortunately follow the same path. Um, because I know I'll I know girls who have had plastic surgery in North Korea, um, oh, and that okay. is okay. yeah the the popular ones at the moment. And again, I think this is only because of availability. Um, is uh, the eyelid surgery that's very common in Asia that you know gives you the double eyelids um, but I know that other of other girls have had other operations as well so it, it is it was at least starting to come into the country pre-COVID let's see what's happening post-COVID um, but yeah that's it that's just yeah, a I, little I'll tell you, I'll tell you another difference too um, you can get in terrible trouble in North Korea now 
if you start using South Korean slang. So the languages mm. are changing and you've really got to watch it in North Korea. And it's become very um, mm. socially at a certain yeah. level. They use South Korean terms mm. in North Korea, but if you get caught doing that. You, you, there's a terrible punishment there. So they're trying to keep the languages separate. You know, yes. it's not as though they're trying to have a commonality because we're Koreans. They're actually mm. trying to create a separation. So, yeah, it's also a sign too, though, that those people have been watching K drama. Yes, exactly, yeah. and I think, like evidence yeah. of you know. Yeah, it's less of trying to create separation and more of a preservation of the Korean language. I think is more that the North Koreans have an issue with is that there are lots of English language words that have got into the South Korean vocabulary, um, more and more so every year. And I think um, that's one thing that, you know, PD, as you rightly say, they are very different on, but I think it's more of a um, wanting to preserve the precious Korean language and lest, you know, the Western words get in. Um, so I'm just going to move the conversation a little bit. Uh, Greg, did you have um, a favorite itinerary item? Give us it quickly, if you do. Or yeah, some highlight, tough. what's the highlight for you? Charbonne uh, okay. Observatory. Uh, that's, yeah. That was a first for me as well. Yeah. And all the conversations on the bus or walking from uh, the uh, barbed wire fence uh, uh, to the seafood restaurant in Sokcho with Leslie, for example. That's, I think that's where we had our first conversation or uh, running into Peter and his uh, company in Ibis and then go out for dinner. Uh, yeah, all the conversations. Um. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I think it's it's so interesting because the things that stand up to me on the itinerary are probably not the things that you brought up, but I'm just looking at it from, you know, an outsider's perspective. I haven't been on the tour yet. And for me, the things that really stood out are the highly North Korea related things, I guess, for example, and, and just super simple things like finding the um, trash on the beach and stuff mm. like the North Korean trash. I think we, we haven't mentioned it yet, but that's something that I find really interesting. And that I think a lot of people could find interesting too, is that, you know, that you go for searching on the beach for North Korean trash that's kind of washed up. And at that point as well, you, and you find Chinese to trash the instead. Oh, Chinese trash. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> And I, they and made it like finding gold when you did find something, you know. Yeah. It's like, so did, did you guys gold? find something? Yeah, like I found like okay. one, one or two things, but it was like gold. Like you go, is this something? No. Is this uh -uh. something? No. And then finally they go, yeah, yeah, that's that's an old Korean chip packet or something. You know? yeah. so, yeah. That should have been a garbage collector, mate, because he knew when it came from North Korea and South Korea, he knew all about <laughs> garbage. He knew all about a lot of things, including garbage, okay? <laughs> it's hilarious being, being able to make something so mundane sounds yeah. so exciting but that just I guess is because of this illusion of North Korea as being this crazy ident like you know it's enigma that we can never get anything from and stuff like that so finding North Korean trash it's like oh my gosh and listening to the North Korean radio channel and stuff like that as well whilst, is something you can do there right that's on the itinerary that's well, at least we, listed I'm sure we could but we didn't have the actually okay yeah and um at the gift I, I had one question on the itinerary um at the gift shop or at the gift shop are there any of the observatories and stuff like that was there any interesting north korean products was the really not or was there something that surprised you or something that didn't did anyone pick up any souvenirs and i found it sort of raises one thing for me um when we went to um in Jim Jack, um i actually felt a little bit disturbed by the sort of theme park element 
to mm. that yes. particular area. Okay. So, yeah. you know, yeah. like, like, you know, again, it's that, you know, they live with it all the time. So to them, it's sort of, they have a different attitude to it. Whereas I, I thought, okay, so we're coming to this place, which is actually a very serious place, but there's mm. a fair wheel, right. Dunkin' Donuts, um, and then there was a souvenir store, you know, with really sort of, you know, tacky things that I wouldn't buy. Yeah. So yeah. I felt conflicted there. You know, okay. at the same time, there was a fantastic sort of exhibition up in the hall that we went to have a look at. So I just found that contrast sometimes between, yeah. um, you know, Korean division, Korean war being turned into a theme park. Um, it sure. wasn't like that at every place, but in that spot, I felt it was. Yeah. And you just 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 reminded me of how I felt as well. So I recently went to Dandong. Um, if you guys remember, mm. it's on the North Korean border. It's yeah. often how you go into North Korea. And obviously, we're not allowed to go into North Korea just yet. It's still closed from COVID. And, you know, throughout my whole time working in North Korea, people often say to me, like, oh, you know, is it does it not just feel like a zoo like you're looking at people like and you know you're watching a play and these actors and stuff like that and weirdly enough that's how I kind of felt when I was in Dandong I felt that I was looking at something and like it was this you know why am I looking at this thing and thinking like oh my god isn't it crazy like over yeah. there's North Korea and I felt that for the first time and I feel like going to North Korea it's not really like that um yeah. you know at all but when you are looking into it in, mm. and not really getting into it in depth then it does kind of feel like that so I think it was Odesan um another observatory and there was like there was a cafe and you got your coffee and we, we got an ice cream and then you sat there and you stared out the windows at the village across the estuary and again I felt uncomfortable about mm. that bit because yeah. it did feel like, oh, it's a day trip on a Saturday. Let's go and look at the North Koreans. Right. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, downstairs, absolutely fantastic exhibition um, about, you know, um, family division, really, really moving. So there's just these contrasts, you yeah. know, there's sort of a commodification of it on one hand but also, um, you know, some deep thinking about it on the other. And, and that's probably the split in society where you've got the younger generation, it's less real to them. Um, you've got the older generation who probably still have, you know, who potentially still have older relatives. And that's actually going to move and move and move. So, you know, the research is showing that for the younger generation, it's not, it's not, not relevant. relevant. It's yeah. not relevant yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, also, if you... Conflicts, Yeah. If you understand some Korean and you listen to what Koreans say when they look at North Korea, that's also quite disturbing. So, like they talk, yeah, it's like a zoo. Like look at North Korean, two North Koreans, yeah, and then and then. And Professor Lankov gave that context actually. So that was, this was another thing I learned on the trip because I remember thinking, "Jeepers, how many observatories are there?" Mm. Like I lost mm. count of how many we did go to. And he explained um, towards the end of the trip that actually this was a form of propaganda. They were actually built to show the poverty under communism. You know, look look across the river. You know, Gosh. look how how poor those people are and how hard their lives are. So, so the government put money into these observatories for that reason. So, That's yeah. So, so yeah. When you start to learn some of the context from people like Professor Longcov, it's very very interesting, and and it teaches you there's propaganda on both sides. Oh so. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
and I think uh, just whilst we're kind of on the border and at the observatories as well, the other big itinerary item is, of course, the JSA, um, which is the um, DMZ, like the, the DMZ that everyone knows. And I think what I probably should have made clear at the start here is that even though it's kind of intuitive once you think about it, the DMZ, the borderline between North and South is not just this tiny area of blue huts that everyone sees on the media. It does actually go through the entire country from yeah. East to West, which you are traveling on on this tour. Yeah. Um, but most people know um, the DMZ as the blue huts area. Um, yeah. And funnily enough, I, I mean, I often say that it's easier to visit from the North Korean side. And I don't think that I'm kind of wrong in saying that, Greg, you might have something to say in that, but the JSA often from the South Korean side gets um, gets blocked or gets, you know, tours there get shut off for whatever reason. It's something that potentially might happen due to recent events with, um, I mean, this is coming out, uh, this is going to be published a couple of weeks after we're recording this now. So let's see kind of what comes of that. Um, the uh, American who has, uh, you know, gone crossed over the line from a South Korean tour into the North. Um, but that's something that interestingly enough, stands out as a massive itinerary item, um, but we haven't even talked about it. So I feel like this tour is something that's so special that has all of these massive itinerary items on it, but in reality, it's everything else that really helps to kind of build it up. Um, and so on that note, I wanted to ask, just before we wrap things up, if there was anything that anyone wants to say on any of the topics that, you know, we've said, if you have any kind of memorable moments or last words, if you don't, that's fine. But if you have something that you want to say, say it now. Okay. I'll tell you, one of, one, one of my highlights, actually, at night was dining with the uh, American uh, Marine officer. He always used to keep my beer mug full. So I always used to try to sit next to him. It's like having your own valet, you know, always keep my beer mug full. But it, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I learned so much from the American Armed Forces on that thing. There's some highly intelligent people there. These were area officers that had gone to Korean school to study Korean. They were advising the American generals there on how to handle the political situation. And I got a lot more appreciation for what America does in, in South Korea. And that certainly held back a lot of situations that could have run out of control. You know, their, their, their main job was not actually the defence of South Korea. It was keeping the South Korean army under control. Mm -hmm. you, know, you won't see that, but, but, but that's what the Marine officers told me. He said, our real problem is a lot of the problems on the DMZ are actually caused by South Koreans. He said, our job is to keep these guys under control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I went in, I, I got, I've got to admit, I really went in with fairly strong opinions about um, America being in South Korea, why are they still there? Um, you know, Korea should be making its own decisions now. Um, and actually, I did come away um, with uh, sort of understanding the nuances, um, which is not to say it's a perfect relationship and, and that the US always does the right thing, but there is absolutely, it's a much more nuanced relationship than I had understood until I went on this tour. I thought that was a real takeaway. Yeah. I guess it's one more similarity to the North and South Koreans too, is that we all have a more nuanced and uh, yes. less black and white uh, yeah. understanding, understanding mm -hmm. ideas about the yeah. uh, peninsula or the countries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that's exactly right. I think the tour to the North, the tour to the South, um, they were both, um, they were great. There were great learnings, and and to unpack what your preconceptions, um, to to bust some of those myths on both sides. You know, on both sides of the border. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Well, honestly, I don't. Yeah, go and say. 
people are people at the end of the day. And you've really got to do a trip to both if you really want to understand what's going on. And then you understand maybe 10% of it. It's very, very complex. But just to go to either North Korea or South Korea, you end up with a distorted view. You really need to go to both. Mm, yeah well honestly i don't know about our listeners but you have definitely sold the tour to me um i did actually ask greg if i could come on the tour so let's see what happens with that no i i would love to visit um you know and come on the tour at least if not this year potentially um in the next few years you've definitely sold it to me anyway um for our listeners how you can get on this tour i don't know how many spots that are left and like i said this is going to be published a couple of weeks after um we are recording so um there will still be a chance for you to sign up hopefully um because there are very limited spots on the tour as as um, leslie mentioned before they are very small groups greg as of right now do you know how many spots we still have left well um between five and ten it's always changing depending on it was down to eight i think about two weeks ago mate i got an uh, 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 email saying there's eight spots left you want to come and do it again <laughs> excellent so there is a few spots left at least um as of today so if you do want to join then the tour is in the show notes um you can also go on the choreo tours website choreogroup.com or you can just email greg on greg at info at choreotours.com or is it info no, it's at greg choreogroup.com what did I say? You're running, you're running the next one too, are you? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Tell me, uh, I, just one, one, one question for you. What, what was your overall assessment of that trip? I mean, you've got our views, Leslie and myself, but Greg, what did you think of that trip? Was it, did it meet expectations or, or what? It was beyond my expectations for sure. Mm. Uh, not so for the visual because I've been to many places, but uh, as I said, like uh, how certain preconceptions I had, even though I don't didn't think that I have that many change about journalism and Americans, yeah. uh, that was uh, really uh, eye-opening for me, as I pointed out. Um, I never expected that I will come back from that tour with these uh, new uh, uh, views or aspects. Um, so yeah, for me, that was the biggest change. And uh, personally, it was just, for me, it was just good to be back in what I always liked doing, leading the tour and talking to people who travel to learn, not to, you know, uh, put on a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so, Greg, can I get your email right? That's, can you say your email for me? <laughs> Greg, G-R-E-G, at choreogroup.com. Excellent. Greg at choreogroup.com. And that email will be in the show notes as well, just as the link for this tour. And Leslie's Instagram once again, which I've forgotten what it is. Can you say it once yeah. again, Leslie? Um, so it's foliopix, which is F-O-L-I-O-P-I-X. Awesome. That will be in the show notes as well. Anyone else got anything they want to plug? Greg, you want to plug your Instagram? Pete, you've got an Instagram you want to plug? Not Instagram. I've only got the email address. <laughs> if people want I to think, contact I you... Got, I think you've got the email address, so that shouldn't be a problem. I'll put it in the show notes as well. So thank you very much for joining me, all of you. Um, it was really fascinating. I learned a lot. I hope the listeners also learned a lot. So a massive thank you. Um, and thanks for coming on the ship. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Bye. Thanks for the invite, mate. It was great fun. Thank you.